Um, So today we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. And so I ask that you would uh, hear these words. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a, Baptist, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. And I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and he was with the wild beast and the angels waited on him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, be with us in this morning. Open up our eyes and our ears to you and to you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So a couple months ago, Megan, uh, my wife and I had our very first parent-teacher conference. And we were pretty nervous. I had no idea just how nervous we would be, but we, we didn't know. We didn't know whether or not as we kind of, I think I said this before she started kindergarten, would, you know, would our teacher say that she was well-behaved, that she was doing a good job, that she wasn't, you know, uh, she was minding her own business, not bothering her, her neighbors? And uh, would, would her teacher realize that she is as brilliant as we know that she is? And, and all of these kind of questions, what we, we didn't realize that, 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 that really we kind of felt like we were being tested right? That, that as we got there, like, you know, if, if, if she wasn't doing well, does that mean that we're not doing well? There was all that anxiety, as probably many of you know about. And, and as I was thinking about that, I was feeling a little bit more compassionate towards my own mother and father. I, I've already shared with you one time about one of the parent-teacher conferences that they had, but I think it may have been the very first parent-teacher conference they ever had about me. I was in either kindergarten or first grade, and and they came in and, and they were probably nervous and the, the, the teacher began to, to describe what it was like having me as a student. And, and quite honestly, I mean, she was giving a pretty glowing, you know, report that, you know, that I had been kind, it seemed, that I was a, a good student, that I was learning okay, I was keeping up on things. And, uh, but they said, you know, as, as the teacher kept going, they knew, they could just tell by the way she was talking that at the end of that, there was going to be a but. And sure enough, just about the time they got to the end, she said, there's just one thing. My mom and dad looked at each other. They were trying to kind of beat her to the punch here. And they were like, we know, he talks way too much. And she said, well, no, but now that you mention it, and, and, 
But, but actually, she said, no, what I was going to talk about is that he, he likes to slide down the slide. And as he's doing so, he locates a, a young lady and then he'll run after and he'll give them a kiss and then run away. Apparently, this was frowned upon by this particular school. And so uh, now, as I was thinking about that, the point is not to kind of point out my my, my romantic prowess at a young age. Rather, it is to say that from a young age, my parents knew and everyone began to discover very quickly that I like to talk a lot. I love to talk. And when I was a kid I, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for a living, I, I can remember saying to my mom, you know, I know all I want to do is I want to talk. I just have to figure out what I want to talk about. I figured it out, right? So, and so I just, there was just something about it. And, and it's interesting because when I was growing up, most of my friends were actually kids who didn't like to talk very much which worked out perfectly because then I could be the one always talking. And so hopefully kind of as I gotten older, I've kind of gotten a little bit away from that and I've been able to kind of listen a little bit more than I once was able to do. But I can't help but think that in some way, perhaps that might shape who my favorite writer of the gospels is. And that is Mark. Because Mark is not nearly as wordy and loquacious as some of the other gospel writers. Mark doesn't take the time to get into lots of kind of other details. Mark just kind of gets right to the point. He doesn't even start with the birth of Jesus. I mentioned that at Christmas Eve. Mark is kind of the the Sergeant Friday of gospel writers. He Just the facts, that's what he likes to give us. But that doesn't mean that what Mark is saying is unimportant. As I've kind of discovered as I've gotten older, oftentimes it's the people who don't talk a lot that when they do, you want to pay attention to everything they say. Someone like me can stand up here and talk for 25 or 30 minutes and at the end you might say, he didn't say much of any significance. But when somebody comes up here and you know they hardly say a word, then you know that whatever they're going to say is very measured. And so you hang on to it, wondering what the meaning might be. And I think that's the case when it comes to Mark is that if we are going to read Mark well in these first 13 chapters, and we have to pay attention not just to what he says, but to how he says it. So when he begins by saying, this is the beginning of the gospel, as someone at staff said last Wednesday, you can't help but hear that word beginning and think back to what? Genesis. To the way that Genesis begins by saying, in the beginning. And so from the very, here at the start, again, remember, Mark is very measured. He's thinking about how he's describing things. It seems to me that Mark already is saying, this is not just something completely new. This is a part of something that began all the way back in Genesis, from the creation of the world. And then as Mark kind of continues to go on, all of a sudden he brings up the prophecy about the wilderness and he decides to start off by talking about John the Baptist being in the wilderness. And if you're an Israelite and you hear the word wilderness, what do you think of? 
You think of the Israelites fleeing away from Egypt and trying to go to the promised land but being stuck in the wilderness. So if you hear this as an Israelite, as a Jewish person, you are thinking, wait a second, is something coming? Is our rescuer finally going to be here for us? Now, we might just fly right by that as 21st century Americans, but for the reader of Mark's gospel, that's exactly what he's thinking about. That's exactly what she is thinking about. What is Mark saying? What is coming with this? So sure enough, then Mark kind of continues on, right? And he brings up John the Baptist. And does Mark, you heard the passage, does he go on and on about John the Baptist? Not really. Matthew talks about John the Baptist, about how they had this dialogue with Jesus, but not Mark. Mark just kind of says, well, you got John the Baptist. The dude's kind of weird. He was telling people to repent and be baptized. He baptized Jesus. Let's move on. It happens just like that. And so again, it would be easy for us, I think, to kind of move on and say, okay, well, let's get to the wilderness. Let's see what comes next. But remember, as good biblical scholars, we want to look to see how is he saying something? And is he saying things differently than the other gospel writers? Well, guess what? He is. Because Matthew and Luke, when they talk about this particular story, they say that the heavens were open. And did you hear how Mark describes the heavens? Good. You did. You heard it. Good. (laughs) Do you remember? He says that they were torn open, that they were torn apart. Now, you may say, oh, well, what's the difference between opening and tearing open? Well, I think there's a pretty big difference. Christmas time, and my guess is, how many of you opened up one Christmas present during Christmas? At least one. Okay, most of you, good. All right, and so I was thinking, of course, there's lots of different ways, there's different techniques for opening Christmas presents, is there not? And, and when my nephew and niece were younger, they always had two very distinct ways of doing it. My, my niece is a little bit laid back. She's a little bit quieter. So she would go in and she would see this gift and she would find the, where, they, where the two pieces of wrapping paper kind of met and she would, she would take her little finger and she would kind of pry open the piece of tape and, And then she'd just kind of keep going and slowly it would just begin to unfold. And you could hardly even tell that it had ever been used. Then you had my blue-blooded nephew. And when he came in, everyone, I kid you not, stepped back a little bit. Because when he saw that gift, he dove for it. And before you know it, he was shredding things. It was like you were a part of a snow globe because there were just pieces of paper just kind of floating all around you as he just ripped the paper into shreds. And finally, once the paper settled and you could begin to see again, you would see my nephew Jacob sitting there holding this gift with this massive smile on his face. But 
the one thing that you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt was that Jacob was so excited to see what was inside. And he was not going to let anything get in the way between himself and this thing that he knew he was going to love. What is Mark telling us by saying that the, that the uh, heavens were torn apart? Mark is saying that God was not just kind of sitting there dispassionately saying, well, I guess I love God, or I guess I love Jesus, I should say. But he was saying, I am tearing apart the heavens to get down to this Jesus whom I love. And nothing is going to be able to separate that from which I love. Nothing. And that tells us something, it seems to me, about the God who loves us. Most of us, it seems, especially Presbyterians perhaps, especially at the nine o'clock service, have a sense that the God whom we serve is a dispassionate God. And we don't quite get the sense that God is in love with us so much that he won't let anything stand in the way between who he is and who we are. And he is going at us because he loves us so much. This is Christmas morning for God. Whenever we are baptized and he is able to come down and grab a hold of us. And that to me is remarkably exciting. But if we're honest, it's also a bit scary. Because one of the things that we inevitably had to tell Jake when he was opening these gifts was, Jake, settle down, man, because you are going to end up breaking something that is inside. You are going to end up changing that which was inside. And here's the thing, that if we believe that we serve a God who is not just gentle and not just soft, but is also passionate and reckless with his love, then that means that when he gets to us, we will not help but be able to be changed. And sometimes, oftentimes, that means we will be broken and then made a new. It is a sense that after we have been with somebody who loves us that much, we will not help but be able to be changed. And there was a part of me that quite honestly sometimes wonders whether or not we would much prefer the gentle, non-tearing God, because that means that there is going to be less asked of us. That means that there is going to be less of us that is going to be broken and changed. Because a God who comes at us with that reckless passion and love is a God who may be asking us to do things we never thought we wanted to do, to go places we never thought we wanted to go, and to be a people we never thought God was going to call us to be. Just one amen. Thank you, Mr. Wright. Which brings us to the wilderness. What happens at the wilderness? Now you remember perhaps stories about the wilderness. This is all that Mark says. Mark, and we'll talk about this more next week in other gospels, of course, 
We hear about the three temptations. We hear about going up to the temple, about going up on a mountain. What does Mark say? Remember, Mark succinct to the point. Mark says he, he went to the wilderness. There was Satan. There was temptation. There were wild animals. There were angels. Let's move on. But there's one distinction about Mark in the way he tells the story which is that Mark says that the Holy Spirit took him to the wilderness. But what's the verb that's used? Good. You're going to have to, you're going to have a new refreshing love of Mark. Mark or the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit is a driver. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, what do we often say? Well, we say things like, well, he's the Holy Comforter. Or we say the Holy Spirit leads us. Or times, this is something we really like to say, he nudged us. Now, there are certainly times when the Holy Spirit is a comforter and when he's a nudger and when he's a leader, but there are also times when the Holy Spirit is a driver. And it's important to see that the Holy Spirit, not anyone else, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, into the unknown, into the seat or into the teeth of temptation and Satan. It's the Holy Spirit that did that. And so often we would prefer a Holy Spirit that just comforts. But the Holy Spirit that Mark begins to describe, giving us a different understanding of that spirit, is that it is a spirit that will take us into the unknown, into the difficult places that we might not prefer to go. And I think this is important because of this. Someone has said, that who or what you worship ends up becoming who or what you are. If you worship money, then you end up becoming greedy. If you worship security, then you end up putting up walls everywhere. But it also means that if you worship a God who is only comfortable and cozy, then you end up with a church that is only comfortable and cozy. And while that is certainly a part of God and a part of who we are, it is not the whole extent. Because if we are also able to worship a God who is passionate and reckless with his love and who drives us into places, it means that we are going to be a people who don't just kind of sit around and say, I wonder when the people from the wilderness are finally going to make it into here but that we are going to go out into the wilderness. It means that rather than just going around and saying, well, I wonder if God loves some of these people, we go around with a passion of knowing that God loves them and is shredding apart everything he can to get to them. That is a different kind of God and it forms a different kind of people. We cannot forget how Mark describes God. 
Now, I know the temptation, it seems to me, would be for us to go out of this place and say, well, that's interesting, a different kind of God. And you walk out and before you know it, you've gone right back to the God of comfort. Because quite frankly, sometimes it seems a bit odd. Well, what does this exactly mean? What does this look like? Does this mean we have to go out to Eagle Creek or to the Monon Trail or down to the Monument Circle and start you know, preaching repentance and baptism to people? Is that what it's supposed to be? And if so, I, you know, other than Scott, none of us are probably going to do that, right? So the question I had for myself as I was thinking about this are what are those steps? What does it mean for us to do this, perhaps in a smaller way, but in a way that is certain for people to know, for us to know that we serve a Holy Spirit that is driving us somewhere and that we are attentive to the reality that God loves not just us with passion, but everyone. And as I thought about that, I was reminded of my wife, Megan, again. Megan, when we lived in Chicago, we were wrestling with some of these same things. And she said to herself, you know what? I, I feel like I've got to do something. I need to do something a little different here. And, and she said, you know, basically, it, this may surprise you to know this, but that someone's probably not going to come up to my door, knock on it and say, hey, I'm wondering, does God passionately love me? And so she said, I feel like the spirit has to drive me someplace, someplace where people, where I will have an opportunity to be loving passionately and recklessly with people. And do you know where the Holy Spirit drove her? All the way to her front yard all the way out to our little front yard because she said, you know what? This may be an opportunity inside the house, no opportunities in the front yard when it's not five degrees in the summertime, there may be opportunity. And so she went out there, but she realized she couldn't just kind of stand out there in the front yard because that's just kind of weird. So she decided she needed to do something. Well, neither of us like doing yard work. I hate yard work. It's an absolute nightmare. And so she said, well, you know what? So she sits there. We have one tree. This is a very small yard. That was intentional. So we go out there. So she goes out there and she just starts kind of digging around, acting like she's doing something, right? And so there she is kind of doing that, not knowing what's going to happen. And all of a sudden someone comes walking by and this is a person whom she had seen before. We've talked about this before. She'd been a good neighbor. She'd waved, she smiled. She talked about how bad the Cubs were. She talked about how bad the weather is. That's what you do in Chicago, but that was it. But she decided, but by being there, not being in a car and just simply making herself available and saying God passionately loves whoever it is that walks by, all of a sudden she's able to strike up a conversation with someone who has not yet experienced the passionate love of Jesus. And that conversation turned into another conversation, which turned into a friendship, which turned into time hanging out in people's homes, which meant visiting people in a different city together over and over. Lo, these maybe seven or eight years. And for a while there, she stopped now because of something that happened at the church. But for a while, this friend of her even started going to church. It was amazing. Why? No big deal. She simply said, I know that God passionately loves people. And if that's the case, then I believe God may be driving me someplace and it may be to a homeless shelter or it may just simply be into my front yard and saying, I am available to passionately love as you have called to us to do, God. And I am available to say, will you tear open one opportunity? Now I know it's 10.03, but I don't care. <laughs> because here's what I do not want to happen. I do not want you walking out of this place 
and thinking that the next thing that you have on your plate is at 440 when the Colts take on the Broncos. And so I want us to take about two to three minutes right now. You may have a pencil, you may not. If you can write it down, there's, there's space in the bulletin. And I want you to think about what might be a small opportunity that you have to say, the spirit, where spirit are you driving me? It might be the cafeteria of the place where you work. It might be wherever you play a sport or where you take your kids to play a sport. It might be, let me be honest, it might be driving you right down this hallway to where our, some of our children's teacher and our youth need helpers, right? We've talked about this for a while. I've talked about this before. It's a little frustrating to me, if I can be so blunt. We have covenant children who are down there who need to be loved by some of you adults. And I want to just say this real quick, if I can. I'm already late. I think it needs to be people who aren't already parents of these five and six-year-olds. Let me just say, as a five parent of a five-year-old, that after a week of being with that five-year-old, you don't come to worship saying, hey, this is awesome. I get to be with 25-year-olds now. So it may be that God is simply driving you right down the hallway. It may be to shepherd community. It may be to anything, but I want you to think about it for two minutes. I want you to think about it. And if you can, to write it down and then we'll close. Do so now. Now, if you couldn't think of something in that amount of time, that's fine. But before 4.40 today, you need to think of something, one thing. And part of the reason why I thought this would be a good time is because this is 2015, a time of new resolutions. And oftentimes when we think of new resolutions, we think of how can we change ourselves? How can we make a change within ourselves? And I want to encourage you about this. That one of the things that I have discovered, and I'm sure you have as well, is that when you are the conduit through which God is working to share his love with somebody else. 
that just like that present, just like that package, you cannot help but be shaped and changed by God. And sometimes we think that, well, let's focus on ourselves and that will change us. And I want to tell you, if you focus on how passionately God loves you and on figuring out how you can be open to helping to passionately love someone else like that, that you will not help but be changed. It may not always feel good, but you will be a different person in January of 2016 than you are in January of 2015 if you are willing to ask the Holy Spirit to drive you to wherever it is he is calling you. Let's stand.